You know, I'm really fortunate. I have an amazing community of people around me. And I knew that even if only 50 people showed up, they would be 50 of my most favorite people. And what could be bad about that? David knows this, but if I decide to do something, it could take me half a second to decide, but I will do it. And I won't stop thinking about it until it's done. It's it's maybe a little OCD, but... <laughs> then she'll often regret doing it, but that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a different story. story. Yeah. yeah. Hey, what's up, guys? Spencer Smith here, host of the Self-Funded with Spencer podcast, sponsored by Pareto Health, ClaimDoc, and PlanSight. Enjoy today's episode. Well, cool, guys. I'm going to kick this off. I'm going to kind of tee up what we're doing because, you know, we're going to get two and a half episodes out of today, which is going to be kind of fun. But I'm here with David Contorno and Emma, Emma Fox, and we're going to do a mini combined episode. And then later, we're going to sit down with each one of you individually. So, David, I'll start with you. Well, actually, let's start with Emma first, obviously. <laughs> Emma, why don't you say hello real quick? Who are you? A little bit about you, but I think on your individual episode, we'll spend more time on your bio. But just sure. really quickly, who you are. Uh, well, my name is Emma Fox. I am one of the partners at ePowered Benefits. I think that's how people know me most. Uh, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn talking about healthcare, throwing out little bombs, snippets of information <laughs> that are, is meant to inform, but also incite um, some colorful discussion. And uh, I've been in this industry for a very long time. I am, I'm trying to reform healthcare, and I'm a lot of other things too. I'm a mom. I'm a I'm a wife, I'm a fitness enthusiast, mm -hmm. I cook sometimes, there's there's a lot. Well, there's a lot that we'll definitely unpack <laughs> over the course of this episode and the next for you. But David, why don't you do, take a second and introduce yourself too. Uh, sure. So I'm David Contorno. I have uh, my first job in the insurance industry was when I was 12 years old. I okay. was telemarketing for Prudential. But I got into health insurance uh, for employers when I was 17. I just turned 47 last week. So 30 years um, I've been doing it. But, um, you know, it got a little tedious after the first 18 years of just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And so I really wanted to look to do something different. And what I mostly realized is that, and I think Charlie Munger said it best, if you show me the incentives, I'll show you the outcomes. Mm -hmm. It's really trying to change the incentives in healthcare to be more employer and patient aligned and doctor aligned to a large extent as well. Well, so I got to ask, did you start in healthcare at 12 as well? Because that's no. the earliest I've ever heard somebody start. Okay. Did, no. did you really start at 12? I didn't know if that was a joke or not. Okay. Yeah, no, it was not okay. a joke. I can tell you more about it. Yeah, I'd love, well, I'd love to hear it. And we'll spend some more time on your episode. But I don't want to belabor the bios just simply uh, because we're, we're going to cover that pretty extensively. But one of the reasons I really was excited to sit down with you guys is I see you publicly. Uh, you take a relatively strong position, I think, both of you on uh, kind of the, the status quo of insurance and especially healthcare. And I, people know you for that, but I don't think everybody knows you guys, uh, you know, personally or really knows your full story. So I'm hoping we can cover quite a, a bit of that in the next couple hours. But what I want to talk about your story together a little bit since okay. we're going to cover it individually later. So tell me about how you guys met and were you aware of each other <laughs> before as much as you want to tell. But I mean, how'd you guys get to know each other? Pareto Health is the manager of the largest employee benefits group captive in the United States. And it's also now the main sponsor of the Self-Funded with Spencer podcast. I chose to partner with Pareto Health for three main reasons. Number one, their dedication to improving the world of health benefits. Number two, their mission to reduce volatility and to make self-funding simple for mid-sized employers. And number three, the strength and scale of their program. With over 2,300 member groups and more than $1 billion of stop-loss premium under management, Pareto Health is the most robust solution of its kind in the country, period. Stay tuned for more information because I'm sure I'll be featuring them on an episode of the podcast very soon. 
Visit Pareto Health at ParetoHealth.com or follow them on LinkedIn to stay up to date on the latest news and developments. We met at a bar okay. at an insurance conference, okay. which is probably not surprising. That's where most insurance people hang out, I think. Um, I don't know if this will surprise anyone that knows David, but I was actually in the middle of a conversation with a group of people, and uh, this guy comes in, pink shirt, uh, jacket over his shoulder, and just interrupts the entire conversation. Sticks his hand out. Hi, I'm David. I noticed you earlier. I uh, just wanted to introduce myself. And I thought, wow, how rude. And uh, then he proceeded to talk about himself for, not about himself, but about what he did uh, for about 20, 25 minutes. And at the time I was working at a TPA and I told him that and he started challenging me in front of all these people. He was like, I got five questions for you. And if you don't answer <laughs> these right, I'll never do business with you. And I was like, what a pompous ass. <laughs> and you know what was funny is that the more he talked, the more you could you see him light up when he's talking about healthcare and mm-hmm. the grievances he has with healthcare. And he was just so passionate and so dedicated to, to this craft. It clearly meant so much to him. And uh, I, I just kind of fell in love with that a little bit and it really resonated with me. I felt very similarly, although not quite as verbose as, <laughs> as he is. Was, that, uh, the, was the recount <laughs> there accurate to your uh, understanding, your memory? Is that relatively, uh, relatively yeah, it'd be okay. hard for me to argue with that. Yeah. But um, uh, one of the things I found out about her right away, actually from a friend who was standing right there, was that both she and I had lost a lot of weight before we met each other. I think okay. combined, we lost about 350 pounds. And yeah. so oh, there was this, not only was there this instant bond, but you know, we both were, I guess, somewhat well-known in the industry at the time. This was in 2018. Uh, but I had never heard of her, and she had never heard of me. And yet, we were saying a lot of similar things. Uh, she was on the West Coast. I was on the East Coast. And coincidentally, we met in Kansas City, Missouri, right in the <laughs> middle of the country. Um, but it formed, uh, I think, a friendship at first, and then, um, you know, a camaraderie that, you know, really quickly evolved. And for those of you that don't know, we we are married. We do live together. We own businesses together. Um and we really try and attack the system, at least from a intellectual standpoint, mm-hmm. obviously not physical attacking, but to get people to just think differently. And, and the, the way that I put it is I'm trying to get people to think about healthcare and health insurance the way they think about everything else they buy and consume. So it's not really different, it's just different than they do today. But we had a lot of the same core beliefs in, in what's wrong with the system, at least. Well, so I want to go back a second because 350 pounds together, that's crazy. Um, <laughs> what What... What was it about, like, was there something to do with your own personal journey of weight loss that really made you focus in on, on healthcare or made you more in tune with the US healthcare system? I'm curious about that. You know, I actually encountered a really unpleasant doctor. So mm. I was obese my whole entire adult life. I was kind of a chubby kid, actually. I, I went, you know, I did that, I was really skinny. And then as you go old, get older, go through puberty, all of a sudden you're like, oh, that little chunk is not going away. And it just got worse when mm. I moved to the US. Um, and I was in and out of the healthcare system all the time, you know, sleep apnea, body acne. I could, you know, I was having heart palpitations. I was having anxiety and I was, was was oh gosh, my twenties. Yeah. Like my twenties. And I was probably solidly over 300 pounds at that point. And I kept going to doctors and asking them, why am I having all these issues? Why am I having these issues? And a lot of them told me very politely, well, it's because of your weight. And it was really uh, hard for me to accept that. And then at one point I ran into a doctor who basically said, you're never going to get better until you lose weight. Mm. And I remember leaving his office thinking, wow, what a jerk, like Mm. how rude and how unkind he was. Um, 
he was right, yeah. <laughs> as it turns out. When in the moment, obviously that would feel, you know, you'd feel like uh, the yeah. guilt or whatever, but clearly it stuck with you. Was yeah. that when there was a moment of like, I'm going to make a change at that point or what? Yeah, it was. I, he kind of challenged me and said, just do, do one thing different for 30 days. That, that's it. Just mm -hmm. try one thing different for 30 days. And so I started counting my calories and uh, I knew how many calories I could have. And I got really good at figuring out how to how to stretch those as far as I could. So I didn't get hungry at two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. But yeah, it was him and it was going in and out of the system and never getting answers. And then finally just saying, okay, fine. If it's a weight thing, let me try and tackle the weight thing. Um, Cause this health insurance system wasn't or healthcare system wasn't helping me whatsoever. Well, was there anything big? Cause we, we cover health and nutrition. I have mm -hmm. an exercise science degree myself and yeah. I have a personal focus on that. Is there anything, one or two changes other than change something for 30 days and then add something to it? Was there something big that really helped you uh, in general? People ask me this all the time. There's, there's not a secret. You know this yeah, if, if, yeah. if you have that education. It's, but it's about adherence and consistency. So it's usually consistency. it's a few things that you change yep. that, that come to fruition. So what, what was it for you? For me, it was learning what macronutrients are mm -hmm. and uh, what my macro dose was um, every single day. It was being really consistent. Cheat meals are, are not helpful when you're, when you're trying to, mm -hmm. to lose a lot of weight. Um, and then eventually I felt well enough to go to the gym. And at first I was just following the little pictures on the machines, you know, just doing what it told me to do. Yeah. Um, but then I just started observing. I actually followed a bunch of fitness people on Instagram that taught me what I should be doing. Okay. So diet, exercise, and consistency. And I lost 150 pounds in like 18 months. Well, I mean, I applaud you for that. Thanks. And David, I don't want to skip over the chance for you to tell a similar story, but I mean, I think it's interesting just to hear that perspective. You guys have both done it individually. I'm sure now you're probably kind of accountability partners to a, mm -hmm. to a degree as well. Uh, but I think this is one of those things that I talk about a lot broadly is we, we do all these cool things with reference-based pricing and controlling the cost of prescriptions, et cetera, et cetera. Just getting people generally healthier is really the thing that will have the biggest impact in aggregate on our healthcare system that doesn't get talked a lot about in our industry. So it's just really cool to hear hear your story about that. Thanks. David, do you want to tell yours? If, was your yeah, big? I think I started to plump up a little younger in life than she did. <laughs> um, and it was a big source of embarrassment for my mother and my grandfather. And so my mother spent my whole childhood sending me to Weight Watchers and Nutrisystem and trying all the medications, the Fenfens and mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And, and none yeah. of it worked. And then, you know, of course, I would try, especially as I started to reach my teens and started to care more about my popularity and how I looked. And <clears throat> um, but I always there was a there was a consistency between my failures and my successes. My failures always came when I went from zero to 100. So I said, okay, tomorrow I'm going to eat nothing but chicken and rice. I'm going to work out three hours a day. You know, at 300 and something pounds, 397 was my heaviest. I'm not doing that. And so what really changed the time that it has so far stuck for the longest period of time was when, like Emma said, I changed one little thing. Now, the one thing I will say, and this occurred to both Emma and I, again, before we met each other, was we did go to the obsessive side. Emma became a bodybuilder. Like, she was counting everything she ate. She, okay. was, she was prepping. She was competing. Um, I was uh, going to Orange Theory eight times a week, plus a personal trainer, plus mountain biking and hiking. Um, I wound up getting in the best shape of my life, which I am not currently. Um, <laughs> but... Um, but what really changed for me early on was I became type 2 diabetic. Okay. And I was diagnosed somewhere in my young 20s. It was a, a little bit of a funny story. I was working at this insurance division of a stock brokerage firm. And um, I all of a sudden was drinking so much water. And my assistant 
said, you know, you really should have that looked at. And I go, what? And she goes, well, my dog was drinking a lot of water and it turns out he's <laughs> diabetic. So you might be diabetic. And it turns out she was right. And, uh, her the, dog? Yeah, her dog was diabetic. <laughs> the, the medication that the, the doctor put me on was metformin, which often has a side effect of gaining weight, which causes your blood sugar to go up more, which causes you need more metformin. So I was in this cycle where I was yeah. this close to needing to inject myself, and I could not bear injecting myself, especially back then. We're talking like old school hypodermic needles. You know, these weren't like the auto injectors that we have today. So um, I didn't want to inject myself. And that was my initial motivation to start to really figure out how to do things differently. But ultimately it was changing one little thing and just like for a month or two and then another little thing. And then when you do that, you start to find you want to change more things. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Were you able to come off the diabetic? Oh yeah, haven't been, yeah. haven't been on medication for decades. Another thing that is we talked about a lot, right? Like mm -hmm. we talk about like how to procure insulin cheaper and control the cost of that. It's like you also can go into remission or remediation of the disease itself through mm -hmm. nutrition and it doesn't get talked about enough. But anyways, I'll get off my personal soapbox here. <laughs> so guys, I wanna talk about perhaps if we could Emma and David together. We're gonna to get y'all individually, but I think oftentimes the sum is greater than the parts. And so when I put you two together, like what is it you guys doing from an initiative standpoint? We'll talk a little bit about the symposium, but I wanna talk about your work together, if you will. So what does a day in the life of, of Emma and David look like today? It looks like Emma closing David's office door because he talks louder <laughs> than your Mustang, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, we, we have a really busy household. You know, we have four children between us. We have two dogs, a pandemic dog and then a friend for the dog <laughs> that didn't pan out so great. So our mornings are chaotic. They, you know, we're, we're coordinating four different children to four different schools. Um, we're kind of passing each other in the kitchen. Who wants to make coffee? Do you want to grab this? You do this. I'll do that. Uh, and then we, we head out, we come straight back to our home offices and we work for the day. He is on back to back to back meetings I'm sure. yeah. uh, pretty much every single day, unless you schedule him a break, he will just yeah. keep going and going and going. And then, so are you both in your own offices with the door shut doing? Okay, oh, yeah. so, so what, um, <laughs> We'll get more into your sort of daily operations, but what businesses coexist, right? Which ones are collective and which ones are individual? What, let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, really the one that I oversee the most, at least from a revenue perspective, is ePowered Benefits. Okay. <laughs> um, we all, explain ePowered real quick, just so the folks. Yeah, so ePowered came about in 2018 after I had sold my more traditional agency to private equity in 2014, and I stayed on for three years. And it was in that three-year period that the carrier started to threaten me by sort of talking about these alternative models. And at the time, you know, I was in a private equity backed um, insurance agency. I couldn't do anything to jeopardize 50 or 60% of my revenue. So um, I started to get really frustrated. And I, when I exited, I said, I'm not getting back into that model. And so ePowered was born out of, at, at the start, the only thing I really knew how to do was align how I was compensated. Okay. And it was right about when I met Emma who really helped me formalize that and helped me understand that I can do the, I can't live in both worlds. I have to pick one. Mm. Do I want the easy one or the right one? And I mm. wanted the right one. Um, and I knew that I've owned businesses my whole life. I've really never worked for anybody except for one or two times early on. I knew that I could figure out a way to monetize it, but I first had to do the hard thing and realign it. Okay. Um, and so, 
everything was then born out of that. And Emma is amazing. I mean, she said in, in November of, or September of one year that she wanted to do a symposium. And by February, we had 400 people <laughs> in Phoenix, Arizona. Was that really that short yes. of a turnaround? Jeez. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, and so she just brought this execution and this ability to see that we can actually make a difference. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what really excited me from a professional level. Since then, she's expanded it to a whole bunch of other businesses. Yeah, yeah ePowered we share. Um, he's the head of sales and he runs the ship and I operationalize everything mm -hmm. and uh, take care of our staff. And we have a really good uh, dynamic between us for ePowered. And then you know, the symposium became its own beast. You yeah. you were at the first uh, two. And so that became a company in and of itself and an event and networking company. Um, and since then, we, um, I guess together, we founded Signal Health Consulting, which is an auditing firm. We don't keep any business. We just audit employee or group health plans, okay. give them a, a report, and then we give them a referral into a transparent uh, brokerage or transparent advisor. And this is where the association was born this year because we were struggling to figure out, okay, how do you identify a good guy? Is it just that he says he's a good guy? I mean, I watch your podcast all the time. You look like one of the good guys to me, but I don't know what you're writing sure. in your contracts in the background. And so we were trying to figure out how we could objectively identify the advisors who were doing the right thing. And so uh, we created, I, I looked for a solution in the industry couldn't find it. Not something that was objective anyway. Yeah. And so I launched the association. And so there's, there's some overlap, but there's a couple of things that I do solely uh, for yeah. myself. Yeah. Well, and I think sometimes you do have to start with a clean slate. You, you started mm -hmm. with a clean slate. You've obviously started the association with a clean slate. If you want it to be a particular way, it probably doesn't already exist, right? right. And so you're going to have to do it on your own, which means more work. I was going to ask you guys, do you all sleep ever? Do you have a chance to sleep? <laughs> David no? doesn't. I, I, I struggle to sleep. I don't know if it's because my brain's always going, but right. even this morning, I've been up since 1 a.m. So Yeah, I mean, most people struggle to run one business, and you guys have multiple businesses. Do you, I know you spend a lot of time together, though, right? Obviously, kids, personally, the businesses. Mm -hmm. um, do you ever, is it hard to find times for yourselves? I mean, is that ever difficult to do, or do you have to schedule that on each other's calendar? I think we've gotten really good, actually. We've had a lot of moments in our relationship where the overwhelm has has really been the pinnacle of our existence, even together. And mm -hmm. it, it, it causes issues. I think sure. any married couple can relate to what happens when you don't spend time on yourself. You can't, can't spend time on him and our marriage if I'm not in a good frame of mind. Sure. And so I would say this last year, we probably started prioritizing our self-care. He'll go. He'll. I mean, when I first met him, I couldn't get him to cancel a meeting for anything. And now if if he feels that it's the burden is getting too much, he will take a step back and, and go take care of himself, whether that's, you know, going to, he does cryotherapy. He loves cryotherapy. Nice. So he'll just go stand in an icebox for a while and, <laughs> uh, and get one with himself. And so we, I, I think that's really made a big difference. Do you agree? Yeah, I do. But I, I mean, I think, look, just speaking for myself, my prior relationships, both professionally and personally were, unfulfilling at yeah. best, shall we say. And so to have a partner that shares my mission in life, shares my mission in work, but is strong enough and smart enough to hold me accountable when I need to be held accountable. She'll step up to the plate when I'm down and she needs to give 80% around the house. And I hope that she feels that I do the same or in business. Um, 
And it's just, you know, there's obviously there's some friction as there always is, but there's this ebb and flow that seems to exist naturally. Mm-hmm. And it really, I know it's a risky proposition working with your spouse, mm-hmm. um, but I, I think that really works for us. As a matter of fact, I would even argue that there are times where the glue was the professional part when the personal was maybe struggling a little bit and then vice versa. Mm. Um, so we can always come back to some common ground. No well, matter I was going to say, you guys have mutual understanding of what it's like to operate in this space and then have a mission like you both have individually, but then you can talk about that, which, you know, if my wife does not work, she stays with her kids. She has a whole different set of challenges mm-hmm. she deals with. So then if I come home and talk about, oh, today and the captive and blah, she's not, doesn't have the same level of understanding because she doesn't do it day in and day out right. like you guys do. So that probably creates a bond that's even deeper uh, simply because you can relate to the work. I, I want to spend a few moments on the symposium and maybe we'll kind of move towards the end of this one and then we'll cut and do your individuals. But I told you off camera, and I'm happy to say it on camera, I thought y'all's symposium, the first one I went to and I went to the second one as well, were fantastic. And there was just this glaring difference in what I'd experienced at conferences in the past. And so I'm curious about what was the intent originally to, to set up a symposium, do something like a networking event? What was the goal that you had in mind for something like that? PlanSight is a complete game changer in the world of insurance broker. As a broker, you know how time consuming and error prone the traditional RFP process can be. But what if I told you there's a better way? PlanSight is the only end-to-end RFP solution on the market made specifically for benefits agencies. It's like having a superpower that gets you an average of eight to 10 hours back per employer renewal per year. And the best part? PlanSight supports all carriers, all funding types, and all group sizes for over 20 different benefits. If you're ready to make your RFP process faster, more efficient, and more profitable, it's time to call PlanSight. Visit PlanSight.com now to book a free demo and discover the future of insurance renewals. Uh, I don't mean any shade at all when I say this, but I've been to a lot of conferences over my career, and I always get something out of all of them but usually not more than one thing. And sometimes it's networking, sometimes it's that one session that you sit in on and you're just like, wow, okay, that's changed my perspective. Um, And honestly, I just, I remember talking to him one day and saying, I bet we could put all the best things together and create something really meaningful where we put all of us in the same room because we knew there were so many of us. Like when I say us, I mean whatever people are calling us these days, disruptors. Yeah. I, I don't know what we're called nowadays. anti buka I'm an anti buka activist. Okay. So I'm very proud of it. <laughs> my, uh, my, my father figure, my role model doesn't like the word activist. He thinks it's negative. I actually think it's, it's got purpose. I think if you're, if you're an activist, it, it means something to you. It's, mm-hmm. it's a mission. It's a purpose. Um, I just want to bring, as many people who want the same thing in the same room as possible so that we can all collaborate and collectively do a better job and then go out and get these employers who are controlling much of the health insurance industry right now um, or purchasing in it anyway. Um, And so I was just like, let's just do it. And it was funny because he was sitting there and he was like, okay, babe, do whatever you want. Yeah, it sounds great. He's like doing his emails and stuff. And so I think like the next day I said, I, I booked a a really cool Marriott in Phoenix. And he was like, what, why? She's like, there's $150,000 food and beverage minimum. I'm like, what? What are we doing again? Hold on. So what did, you know, when did it go from sort of this pie in the sky idea to, oh, wow, we're actually doing this as a reality. I mean, that was a short time from that to the execution, Mm -hmm. but was there a moment when you felt, oh, 
we're going to do this and this is going to work. There was very little we in this. Okay. So when Emma was putting all the work into this, David, um, yeah. was there a moment for you, though, when you started getting people signing up? Or what was the point when you go, oh, wow, this is going to work and we could probably do this over and over again? You know, I'm really fortunate. I have an amazing community of people around me. And I knew that even if only 50 people showed up, they would be 50 of my most favorite people. And what could be bad about that? Yeah. And um, I've created enough really substantial relationships that I, I just, I knew it wasn't going to fail. I knew people believed in me and mm -hmm. had believed in me before. It was just the sake of me believing them that, that they trusted me. And David knows this, but if I decide to do something, it could take me half a second to decide, but I will do it. And I won't stop thinking about it until it's done. It's, it's maybe a little OCD, but. Then she'll often regret doing it, but that's, <laughs> that's, a, different that's a different story. story yeah. yeah. So now that you've gone through, you had a second year, this mm -hmm. year is going to be, or well, I say this year, 2024 is going to be in Puerto Rico. Last year mm -hmm. was in Miami. Miami. Yeah, I was at Miami as well. What are, you know, some of the lessons learned? Because putting on an event like that, and it's obviously going to continue to grow. I'm sure there's some like initial whoops would have done that differently the second time around. Was there any of those type of things where you're like, oh, I learned this now. We'll do that again. Yeah. Event planning is a beast. I thankfully I had some experience just in some affiliate organizations before. But I think having good staff is crucial. Alexandra, who works on my team, everybody knows who she is. Mm -hmm. um, she's fantastic. She keeps everything together. She keeps it rolling. I'm you know, she's kind of my Emma and I'm kind of her David. I, I throw ideas at her and I say, let's figure out how to make this work. And she, she figures it out. She really keeps it together. And then we have w what we call the cast and crew and they're, they're folks that, you know, you know, mm -hmm. we, we know them. Um, and they all volunteer their time. Like no one's getting paid for this. No yeah. one is like making a ton of money. We're all just like, this sounds like a great idea. Let's chip in and do it. And mm -hmm. that's, that is the entire backbone. And as long as you've got good people, those little mistakes, your attendees aren't paying attention to them. Well, Dave, what are your thoughts kind of around that? You leveraging that, right? Because you guys have your businesses that, of course, are supported by the mm -hmm. symposium. Um, and then it, it brings attention to what you do collectively as well. So how has that been a nice vehicle for expanding your footprint, too? Well, first of all, I want you to know the expansion that the symposium has helped brought is not financial. Yeah. Um, it's not really a revenue or profit generating thing. Our goal is to break even. Um, but it is, uh, well, I didn't know the first one was a success until about a month after the first one ended. Hmm. And the reason it took me a month until after it ended was because I saw how much it was still being spoken about yeah. for the four weeks after it ended and even longer than that, but at the time. And I started to ask people, why, why are you still talking about this? What made this so different? And I had to kind of distill it down from a bunch of people's various reactions. But I think the real difference was is that if most, if not all of the people that Emma chose to put up there to speak were not up there saying, you should be doing this. They were up there saying, this is what I do. Mm -hmm. And we tried to make it raw and honest. We wanted the good, the bad, and the ugly. We had our employer clients there to talk about the rough spots as well as the successes. And I think when people saw that not only was it people up there saying, this is what we do, but we, we opened up to everyone. This is who we do it with. This is how we do it. This is why we do it. This is where we do it. Um, and so I start, I think start, people started to see hope and optimism and perhaps a true reality of them that they can really do this. And I've been to so many conferences, Emma alluded to this earlier, where you hear one great thing, but Monday morning you're back doing the same renewal sure. process, the same everything. I said in my opening and closing remarks, I want to make sure that everybody gets something out here that is a different thing permanently.
And if it's just one thing permanently, then I will consider it a success. Well, I remember I told you guys off camera the one thing that really resonated with me. I was a fan of DPC prior, but didn't know enough about it to really formulate a full opinion. And then I went to one of the breakout sessions with Dr. Gold, and I forgot he had a, a counterpart in it as well. But it was like standing room only. People in the back of the room were not just asking questions at the end, but they were talking about how much they love DPC as well. And I left that going, I've really got to learn more about this. This is really interesting. And I think it was an obvious focus on substance that made that one stand out to me. It's why I came back again the following year. I told a lot of people about it as well. But it also was evident that it wasn't, you weren't just doing a, a conference to do a conference to make money, like you said before. Sure, it supports your business in maybe an indirect way, but it felt like you were doing something to help start or stimulate somewhat of a movement or I don't mm -hmm. know what you want to call this, activism, what do you want to call it? But I think it's just helping people understand your worldview and then if they're interested, showing them a pathway to achieve a similar level of success. That's how we get to where we need to be. Mm -hmm. And I was proud of the number of clinicians that have been at both of our conferences so yeah. far. Mm -hmm. You you have a couple of clinicians at the insurance conference if they happen to also do something in insurance, but these were pure DPC docs, largely. Mm -hmm. Not exclusively, but largely. And I met a DPC doc that first year, Dr. Tenneth, Kenneth Key, who's out of Virginia, who went right into DPC. Like okay. that's a model that we should be awarding and we should be spreading and we should be getting the word out that you can do this. You don't have to go through that miserable 10 or 20 years that most primary care physicians had to go to before becoming a DPC. Right, right. Well, so in the interest of time, I know we want to get to your episode too, but I do want to kind of finish this episode and ask for your perspectives collectively in the big picture of healthcare. So the resolving of healthcare, this mission that you guys are on, we talked about over coffee earlier, whether or not we thought we'd see it happen in our lifetime, it being fixed. But just kind of broadly, your perspective, your philosophy on, on where this thing is going and what impact you think you guys will have. ClaimDoc is a medical claim auditing and member advocacy company. We provide fiduciary services to employer-sponsored benefit plans, allowing them to create an environment where we ensure that the benefit plans are being charged in a fair and reasonable basis. My business is basically people, and it become a real simple transition. We thought it was going to be far more complex. I've saved, we'll say, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I could not say enough about ClaimDoc. So I'll tell you, I've been operating under the influence of Dr. Alex Lickerman for a few years now. He wrote a book and uh, he actually, I think he wrote a couple at this point, but in one of his first books, he tasked people with determining what their mission was. Um, and he put me through that exercise when it came to what I wanted to do uh, in my career. And I think I said something like, oh, I want to fix the healthcare system. And he was like, no, no, it's <laughs> got to be like, it's got to be specific and something that you're not actually going to accomplish in okay. your lifetime, but something that you're going to contribute to every single day. You may never see it happen, right? Uh, but you will pay into it every day, a little bit some days, a lot some days, maybe every now and then you'll take a day off. And so uh, my mission ended up being to correct the injustices I find in the healthcare system as I find them. And that, that's what I do every single day. If mm. I, and, and there, there's not a shortage of injustices in the healthcare system. Sure. So as soon as I see one, I do whatever I can to try to remedy that and to find justice for it, whether that's for a patient or not. And for me, I don't, I don't think I'm going to see a fix to the healthcare system in my lifetime, but I do think that I'm going to contribute heavily to whatever the fix is after I'm gone. 
Yeah, I kind of describe it as you sort of have to pick your lane, right? I mean, yeah. you can't do everything. No individual, no company, not even a collection of companies can do it all. Mm -hmm. So you have to find the thing that resonates the most with you and just attack that with full vigor. Yep. I mean, and then beyond that, you can't really control anything else. Mm -hmm. How do, what's your sentiment about it all, Dave? I really just want to educate mainly employers, doctors, and patients on what our healthcare system really is, because it's not a healthcare system. I, I thought of something today, you know, we, we flew here and I remember flying, I had to fly back and forth during the pandemic to see my children. And that first flight in, you know, April of, of 2020 was cathartic. Uh, it was apocalyptic. Mm. It was the, the mm. airport was empty, the flight was empty. And I don't know if you remember, but within a few months, the airline industry needed major bailouts. Yeah. Because when people stop flying in a complex like that, the, the, the financial consequences are steep and fast. And I've come to realize that our healthcare system would be in the same exact boat if we collectively got healthy. It only gets paid when we're sick. And the sicker we are, the more it gets paid. And I believe that as a, a, a system, systemically, it does more things than even I'm aware of to keep us unhealthy. Yeah. Whether it's the, the diabetes, I mean, the, making it easier to get bad food and cheaper to get bad food. Like it, it, it permeates so many different levels. But at the end of the day, if everyone in the US got healthy, within months, our healthcare system would need trillion dollar bailouts, like massive, it yeah. just, it'd be, it'd be game changing. And so I want to realign that. And of course, that misalignment extends in many different intricate levels. But I feel that Emma and I and anyone who sits where we sit, and what do I mean by where we sit? We're day-to-day -day building health plans that don't utilize conventional tactics or tools. And I think that that's given us like one of the most holistic views of the problems of our healthcare system. I feel like carrier execs are very siloed. Doctors are very siloed. Hospital administrators are very siloed. They don't see it holistically. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if we can impart this knowledge and get the country to understand that they would demand change from the ground up, from the top down. They would start to demand change. The companies and entities that are benefiting from lack of change would be forced to change. And maybe I'm being optimistic. I don't know, maybe naive, but, but I believe we need to change the forces in healthcare and health insurance to be more healthcare focused and not sick care focused. Yeah, absolutely. And I share your optimism. I wouldn't do this if I was, you know, if I was pessimistic about where we're going. Now, that's not to say that it is not immensely frustrating and immensely challenging and like and I think you said we'll be doing this for the rest of our lives and will we see it change? Probably incrementally, but hopefully at least directionally speaking, it's moving in the direction we all want to see it go. But it's never done and your work's never done. And so the optimism is I get to wake up tomorrow and have another conversation or talk to a group about a captive or whatever and keep doing it again the next day. Um, and I'm happy to continue doing that until I get bored. And I don't know when that'll be, but uh, <laughs> that's a different conversation. Well, guys, this was a great way to, I think, wrap up this portion. Um, and so we'll take a quick break for the listeners. We're going to now, I think, break to, to David might release them in different order, who cares? But then we're gonna go really in depth individually with each one of you guys as well and get to know you. So thanks so much for this one and we'll go ahead and end it here.